1: And welcome to the Chronicles of Nania, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. I am your host, Martha Reddick, and this week we are going to be talking with Caroline McGuire. Hello, Caroline. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Um, Caroline wrote a book called why will no one play with me and we're going to talk about this a lot i um flew through this book (laughs) uh reading it it was so easy to read and uh it's it's really been helpful but before we talk about
0: why will no one play with me
1: let's uh hear a little bit about your background
0: So, um, hi everyone. I am first and foremost, a huge fan of nannies. I have a nanny downstairs as we speak, painting pumpkins with my children. And she is such a better painter than I am. Um, I don't think I could draw a dinosaur on a pumpkin if you uh, paid me. Um, (laughs) I just don't have artistic talent. Um, I also have had um, many, many wonderful nannies work with me in sessions. So I wanna say that I always train everyone. And if a nanny is seminal in a child's life or grandparents, um, I always work with them. So I really value what everyone here listening does. Um, I am a mom of two small children one is 11 and one is five. Um, And um, I also am an ADHD executive function and social skills coach. What that means is I work with kids to help them with their social skills. And also, um, I used to do more like academics. So, you know, the kid who leaves their homework on the printer, those were my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have a master's in education from Leslie University. Um, And in general, um, I work with kids from five to 25, Um, any age. um, If you need help and you find me, I will help you.
1: Wonderful. (laughs) That... It's so reassuring, (laughs) even though I don't personally have children, but I certainly have children that I care about in my life. Um, So wonderful. Well, uh, let's start with um, what was your inspiration for writing Why Will No One Play With Me?
0: when I first started working about 15 years ago, I started noticing that, you know, we have a real play date culture, as as all of you listening know. And the kids that I was seeing, um, mostly really, I was seeing them for, you know, time management organization, the more academic stuff at the time. They really didn't have a lot of play dates. They didn't get invited back. Um, Most of you probably didn't live in this world. But when I was a kid, you know, you played with whoever's in the neighborhood and Um, you know, we didn't know we could, um, select friends, you know, I'm sure there were people who drove my mother crazy, but she couldn't do anything about it. But now in this play date culture, what I found was kids were left out really young because if they were challenging, people just didn't invite them back. And the parents therefore also didn't have a social life because they were also uh, left out. And I had this little boy that I was working with, and we were working on reading logs. Well, if any of you have worked with ADHD kids, you know that we will read the book, but we do not want to write it down in a log. (laughs) And I think I asked him a question like, you know, if you could change anything, what would you change? And he said to me, you know what I want to know, Caroline, why will no one play with me? Hmm. And I had already you know, started really having this sense that these children, especially children who... Um, we're not on the autism spectrum and did not have services at school, kids who were shy, kids who were just kind of awkward, they, that they were really suffering. And it really just hit home to me too that as adults, um, we focus so much on academics and, and life skills are super important. Don't get me wrong, but they really want to know and care about the things that affect their daily lives and, and that's social. So it, that's what started this journey was this one little boy who is fine nowadays, by the way. he has had a very successful time, he got a lot of help, and um he is a productive, happy citizen in his thirties, which dates me can <laughs> now figure yeah, out i'm old but um but it really was his question that just brought home to me like this is is really important right it's
1: really important, and I Um, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about how there's, if there's not a diagnosis, it's hard to find help, um, for the parents. And, and even as a, as a child, I completely understand it's really confusing and, um, and you feel so lost when something goes wrong for you socially. And you don't know how to solve it. Um, and there aren't all that many resources for children.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, and it's not saying that the kids who have a diagnosis and who receive help don't deserve the help. If it were me and I were queen, I would get everybody that help. But right. what ends up happening, and many people out there listening know this, is that um because schools are overburdened, you know, and my other example is that I'm going to speak at the international conference on ADHD, um, very soon. And I am the only person talking about social skills there. Wow. So even within that world where kids have that diagnosis, because it is, um, not the same, there's no laws saying you must help these kids with this. Um, as there is with autism where there's an autism law and good for them we should get one too Mm -hmm. Um, that is why so as a kid a lot of these kids start to get very defensive they start to think and blame and they start to have sort of a story and the story usually is like everybody's just mean Mm -hmm. and because everything is so baffling like why am I left out? And, you know, I was just reading some research today because I was trying to find something to prove something that <laughs> is somewhere in the pages of research. I just need to find it again. Oh, and yes. one of the things they're saying is that people who have um, low self-awareness tend to be the people who have an overinflated sense of their social skills. Like if you ask someone who has good social skills how their social skills are, they tend to be like, oh, I'm Okay. And so that also leads to that they don't have self-awareness, so they don't know, like, I'm doing stuff that alienates other people. So it's like all of just a big pie that gets baked with all these problems.
1: Yes. And and it's kind of like once that train has left the station of having even just your first struggle with a social interaction um, – it can be hard to I'm switching metaphors. It can be hard to write that shit um right. without the knowledge of of how to do it. Um and even, you know, as caregivers and, and parents, I I have seen it where kids come home with an issue of, you know, this kid is bullying me and it's you're getting it just from the child's, you know, your child's point of view. And so it can be also hard to figure out to, uh, yeah, figure out how to help when you don't have the full story, you weren't there, um, and all of that sort of stuff.
0: Absolutely. You know, there's a reason that kids aren't um, great reporters, right, you know, and and the reason is that they have their limited perspective, and also they're they're confused a lot of the time, and and any of you listening, you know, kids tell me a story, and the story is, like, convoluted, and then they add in details, you know, right. so-and-so had a beanie boo, and that beanie boo is one I wanted, and you're like, oh, did that start the fight? No, I'm just telling you about their beanie boo, okay, <laughs> you know, so- <laughs> So One of the things we have to do sometimes, and, and, and I've seen nannies do this, I know this is possible, is to get information from teachers. Um, I personally have an email account. Um, this is just a tip that my um, whole family uses, and my nanny has access to that account. And so anything that comes in for my kids' teachers including like uh, my son had declared he was wearing his Halloween costume to school tomorrow and she wrote us to just let us know that's not to be done. And I was like, that's okay. I knew that. (laughs) But, but, but if I hadn't shared that, if I forget, it's all there. So I think that's one of the things because when they tell us stories, a lot of times we have to go back and get more information because there's just these huge gaps in them.
1: Right. Right. I love that idea. Thank you. I've never heard of yeah. that being done before. So thank you. That's a I've I've had parents that will forward me um emails. I also um I also work as a tutor um as well as a nanny. And so especially academically speaking, I have um parents that will forward me emails from teachers, but uh for a nanny, I think that that is a great idea. To include them in because
0: a lot of times they're the ones helping get ready in the morning. So, right, well, and 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 like today, you know, you and I were talking. I was on a plane. The plane was late, so I was all frazzled by the time I ran in the door, and I was tired. And it's very possible that I would forget to convey maybe not that information because I was sort of like on red alert then. That like he <laughs> but, thinks he's wearing a Halloween costume to school, but. I mean, a lot of times we forget. So it's just a way that also to make everyone feel included, like everyone is raising these children, right? right? And I think it's a, just a different attitude. But I also know that um, going back to your original thing, like it's very baffling for children and they really, then you as the parent and you as a nanny are like, I don't know what to do. I have this kid getting off the bus every day. He or she is miserable right. or, they're a bystander. I mean, that's something we don't talk about a lot, but some of my daughter's most sort of fervent worries are about being a bystander to these things and not having the adult communication skills to handle a really tough situation that you and I would struggle with, right. let alone, you know, an eight or nine year old.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and as I was reading, I, Kept thinking about how helpful these strategies would be for so many kids and adults <laughs> that I know, um, and and honestly, it was really helpful for me too. There were things in there that I was like, you know what, I haven't really looked at this social aspect in this way, um, and I I know adults that you know you're you're hanging out and they they tell a story that <laughs> meanders and goes on and on and they're not reading the room <laughs> um and so uh is there would you recommend the book even if it's not like a case of a child has has completely broken down from struggling with social skills even if it's just my child seems fine but um But I I guess I'm asking, is there like a tipping point where you think that these strategies are worthwhile or do you think it's worthwhile for everyone?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I had thought of it as a tipping point thing, but now that I'm going around the country talking about it, I've come to believe that it's for everyone. And here's why. One, all of us have to talk to our kids about hard stuff. Right. And a lot of kids regardless of social skills, just don't want to talk about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things the book features is a lot on how to communicate more effectively with kids, how to get them to open up. Mm -hmm. And so that's just really useful for everyone, right? Because we have to talk about, you know, your effort and, you know, what you're doing and how your tone is and how you're acting. And then the other thing is that, Um, the point that you made about us thinking about social in a different way. You know, I think a lot of parents don't really have education around social. You know, we read a lot of books about academics, but we don't read a lot of books because there hadn't been a lot of books about this that weren't super academic and jargony. And so one of the things that has come up a lot is um, that adults who are struggling benefiting from this book and then also just adults in general becoming more aware of you know what do you push and what do you what do you you know what do you let go and you know if your kid can't read the room you want to make sure we rectify that because that is a key skill Um, and it's really hard as a parent and as a nanny to figure out what do I push and what do I let go? And so this would really be helpful for that.
1: Yes. And I, I did have that question when reading um, because some of the behavior described, um, for example, telling <laughs> very long, meandering stories, um, seems developmentally appropriate to a point. And right. Society doesn't really say when that point is over. <laughs> um, we just kind of stop listening, I suppose, or stop like giving positive feedback um, when kids get old enough. But I'm curious about some of the things that you talk about and the age-appropriate behavior versus um, when we need to help Switch over to a more adult way of
0: of behaving. So, in the book, there are seven in Wild Know Play with Me. There are seven things that everyone needs to be able to do socially, and those seven things including manning your emotion, managing your emotions rather than managing you, reading the room, reading social cues, um, learning to walk in someone else's shoes. So, it's mm-hmm. just just a few. But um, the idea here is that. It is based on their ability to be like same age peers. So, right. for instance, meandering stories, um, little little ones. Yeah, they tell these stories <laughs> that go nowhere, um, or they do those skits. Everyone knows the uh-huh. skits. The skits yes. are so much fun. Um, <laughs> but. Around, if you look at groups of children, and this isn't written in any child development book, because this is just my own personal perspective, even though I have a child development background, it's like around age 9, 10, 11, if you listen to kids, they really start to get, they, they get their groove on and they start to tell tighter stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's that we as adults start coaching them or the academics at school sort of push that forward. They do a lot more reports, a lot more oral presentations around that age. But, you know, I was just driving a group of six sixth grade girls home from a little dance thing the other night. And I was agog, even though I work with this age group at (laughs) these girls who I've known since preschool and how much better they are at engaging and talking. But I also know that in my community, just like in yours, there's a bunch of kids who are not there. Right. Right. And so I think whenever you see that gap, Mm -hmm. that's really when you want to, you know, be aware. And also there's never a harm in coaching, even a little one, to, to sort of tell a tight story, which is one right. of the things in Wild know will play with me. Tell a tight story, like land the plane, you know? Yes,
1: yes. And um, we have an episode about humor, kids and humor, um, with uh, Leah Friars, and she uh, is a comedian. And so she talks about when she was nannying, how she would kind of be hard she was a hard laugh for her kids, um, to help them tighten up the story or the joke or, you know, um, and there were certainly times that she would laugh when they messed up and like it was a communal laugh. But I, um, I love that idea of, of helping coach kids, um, through that because I, I struggle sometimes with, is this me or them of like, is this me being tired and struggling to focus on this story or is it them that it's, they're going on too long. So this, the book really helped me um, see that putting my energy towards coaching them instead of putting my energy towards remaining a good listener uh, is probably a better use of my energy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and I think as adults, I mean, it is hard sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty cranky here, but I think, um, I think you know, my example that I've been using lately is we all have that uncle at Thanksgiving who you avoid sitting next to, or aunt, mm-hmm. and we all know the adult who takes out their phone and like checks your facts and says like, mm-hmm. actually, you know, and you, and, you know, everyone knows. Um, except the people doing it, that that's super rude. Like, why are you doubting my facts? Even if I'm wrong, like, just let it go. And so my perspective also is that there isn't a magic age where you start teaching children that that's rude, right? right? If a six-year-old were to go check my facts, I would coach them that, You know, how do you think I felt when you were checking my facts? What made you do that? What prompted that? And I think that's part of it with the telling the type story is obviously we don't want to shame children. And if they're three, I mean, sometimes they're just trying to get their words out. But if they're very very verbal, it doesn't hurt to sort of coach them around that because, um, you know, they are going to need to mature into better communication. Right,
1: right, and yeah, helping them discover that earlier rather than later is not a bad thing at all um let's let's do talk through those seven essential behaviors. Um, you mentioned some of them, but I would love to to talk through them because, as I was reading, you know i as a nanny and a podcast host, I've read a lot of um child rearing uh parenting books and this was in my opinion one of the best collections of all of those ideas in a in one place and in a very clear and easily absorbable um way and i and i think that these seven essential behaviors are really the heart of that um that clear and concise way of talking about something that, you know, you come across as you're researching and as you're trying to be a better educated nanny. But it was it was really nice to see them all in one place. So the first one is uh, manage emotions rather than let them manage you, which I love. Um, and we are working with children who are – feeling really big emotions and we've talked about that on here countless times um and so yeah I I love the idea too of of encouraging children to adapt rather than expecting them to change for you um is there yeah is there anything that um you'd like
0: to add for that one well so for managing your emotions you know here's my thing we all know those adults who's lives are consumed by drama, Mm -hmm. um, and who, you know, don't go to work because of drama, and who constantly seek out drama, or who are debilitated by anxiety, and Mm -hmm. I feel like with children, you know, they have these big emotions, and we're we're helping them learn to process them, And we're also trying to give them that perspective of like, what is a big problem and what is a small problem and what is a big worry and what is a small worry. And one of the exercises in the book that you can use with little kids, but you know, you could use it with a different way with big kids too, because I certainly do, is how worried should I really be? And the exercise is that I take trucks and I'll say, how worried, how big is this worry? And how would you need and tell me like yes <laughs> like this is just so big. Um and with teenagers I tend to, you know, sort of use rating scales. But the idea that like how much would you need to carry this worry is I think really important because then you as a nickname you know how much this is eating up in their head, like their headspace. Right. Um but the seven things that, that everyone needs to do to be social too I mean I love the point you're making because what I wanted was something so that people could think, you know, okay, there's there's an executive function questionnaire and why, will don't no, play with me. And you can take it and you can see where your kid is. But let's say you're still wondering or you're at the beginning of the book and you haven't gone to that. Here are seven things that if your kid can't do them at age, you know, 18 as they're heading off to college. So I wanted people to have a clear understanding of, these are the things that research and my experience find you need to be able to do. And whenever I, I talk to parents, they're like, this makes sense. You know, everybody kind of knows, but it put, it lays them out.
1: Yes. I love the, the compact list. Um, so, uh, the second one is read the room, um, which I wish that there was a way for me to teach, adults this so much, (laughs) Um, (laughs) especially I'm, I'm in grad school right now to become a family counselor. And, um, I sit in class and watch other students who are adults out in the world doing things. And I, I just see them not read the room at, all. (laughs) So I loved, I loved this. Um, I I would love to be able to adapt it (laughs) to adults, (laughs) but, but it helps me to help the children (laughs) that I work with um, learn to, to read the room. So yeah, scanning that situation and then adjusting your behavior to meet the demands of any given situation and also communicating that that might change.
0: Right. Well, and there's a couple things I want to say about that. You know, one of them too is that there's exercises in "Why Won't Play With Me" about how to pick up context and mood, and the reason is that energy and mood and context, in many cases, they're a vibe, right? Right. It's that subtle nuance that you pick up where you walk into a room, and especially with children, right? We walk into a room and we realize that the child is off in some way. I don't Mm -hmm. know how, but they're off. Um, and Um, when people can read the room, they pick up that energy, but when people don't read the room, often they don't even know that that energy exists. Right. And so, yeah, I remember in grad school, actually, there were people who would ask questions when clearly all of us had packed up and we were ready to go Uh and not to be a slacker or a non-learner, but don't ask questions when people are packed up and ready to go because we need to catch a train or whatever. Yes. Yeah, and I think the other thing about that that I want to say is that one of the tips that I use with children of all ages is that every time you enter a room or you exit your car, it's to put your game face on. Mm -hmm. That's when you start need to start to read the room. That's your cue. Because people will say, "Well, what's your cue to read the room?" And it's it's the doorway, right? Mm -hmm. Because every time you enter a doorway now you're on you know and I do also want to mention that um you can use the the lessons to read the room because it's a complete track which has never been done before no one has ever put together comprehensively I looked everywhere and what I found is people talk about reading the room and they talk about a few things but they don't give you like every step to teach it Mm -hmm. so I, um, I, you can use that with adults, you just don't use the fun visuals because they don't appreciate them.
1: <laughs> yeah, darn it. Um, but yes, that's great. Thank you. I, I will work on that. Just slip
0: them to the grad students. Yeah. Just slip it on your <laughs> There you go. Well, I,
1: I have a professor who, uh, is very good at helping people. I mean, it's counseling, it's a counseling program, but, um, I've been watching her work with some students that I had in previous classes and it, I just am in awe. She's, she's doing a great job. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So the third one is meet people halfway, which this I've seen so many kids struggle, um, with compromise and, um, and yeah, also, also adults, but uh, it says this could mean introducing yourself, starting a conversation or, or answering a question when you're asked. So this idea of, if I, um, if somebody doesn't approach me, then I'm not going to do anything.
0: Right, right. It's that. And it's also, you know, one of the kids I worked with last year, um, he would literally tell other kids what juice box to you to have on a play date. Right. he <laughs> would be like, you know, you're having berry berry, and they did not appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the girlfriend you have who literally you always end up at their movie, their restaurant, and you're there. Like, I don't want to be at this restaurant. Why am I eating Chinese food? I didn't want Chinese food. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's also um, I do this thing that's in the book called pile of choices where. When kids have a play date, you know, often you're watching them make every choice, right? We're playing this game, we're doing this thing, we're going outside and it gets old for the other kid. And so one of the things that I um, do that you could actually do as nannies is I take those big blocks that are, you know, the, the, they're made of paper, the really big ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I put stickies with every choice the kid made on the play date and the box goes to like, you know, my height. And right. then I make a list and I put all the the, the blocks with um, all the choices their friend made. And it's usually pretty anemic. It's like to my knee. And then I just ask them, what do you think? And mm-hmm. in the book, this is a visual called Pile of Choices. And it's really powerful because they look at it and they're like, no, Caroline, that can't be true. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we, we wrote it all down <laughs> while the play date was going on. You know, and I just go through, like, did you tell the other kid what juice box to have? You know, did you do this? And when they reach the end, they kind of, and I'm very objective, which is what the book teaches you to do, is really just ask questions, don't tell, don't preach. And at the end, they they really do have the aha, because if you're a person who doesn't meet people halfway, people just don't go for it. They don't want it anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And especially... Um, I mean, adults too, but with children, um, autonomy is such a huge part of what they want. Um, and so when another child takes away some of their autonomy, it feels really bad. Um, yeah. And so, because they're, they're somewhat sadly used to adults taking away their autonomy, um, which is something that as a nanny, I really try to, to not do. I encourage their autonomy. but. Um, but yeah, it, it feels bad <laughs> to be on a play date that you've been looking forward to, maybe, and, and suddenly be kind of on this like roller coaster track that you can't get off of. Um, yeah. So
0: yeah, everybody wants to choose their own juice box in life.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Put it on a shirt. That's great. <laughs> um yeah, so the fourth one is understand social cues and unspoken rules, which I loved that in the book, the idea of talking of, of speaking the unspoken rules of your family, of Um, of a situation? What were the unspoken rules of that play date? I love bringing voice to that. I think that's wonderful.
0: Well, and I was just talking to my nanny about this when I got home from the airplane. I was saying that, you know, we have to teach children because we can't assume they know. And there are so many unspoken rules. So I had this come up today We had been stuck on the tarmac. We had to refill the airplane fuel because there was some kind of problem. So we had to have extra fuel in case we had to move to a different city and not land in Boston. And it was time when finally we were in the air and we were allowed to go to the ladies' room. And these two young women – no, I had to go too. They hopped up and they sort of like almost – like they didn't hit her or push her, but they kind of like jumped in front of like a nine-year-old woman. Uh And I was like, Oh, unspoken rule is you let the nine-year-old woman go first, you know, unless you're sick or something. And I, my nanny and I were just talking about like, you have to, that, that was a teachable moment. Had my daughter been sitting there and my son, I would have said, Hey, you know what those girls just did was not okay like we 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 let the older person have the seat we let them go first we don't ever push past people like that and like sort of you know so that they're like this and just pushed back and so um that to me is really like a very teachable moment and there are all kinds of unspoken rules and mm-hmm you know, like with your grad class, I'm sure there are unspoken rules and some people get them and some people don't. And I mean, I think kids sometimes intuitively pick them up, but a lot of times they don't. And it's our job to, you know, as we ride the subway with them, as we are in a car with them to explain to them why certain things are not okay, because they will remember that, you know, um I have cousins who are 30 and I used to actually be their nanny mm-hmm. and they will tell me stories about things I taught them that I truly did not think they were listening. Right. <laughs> but it turns out they were. Yes. <laughs> so um it all it's really important.
1: Yeah, and I I also think that it can be a really lovely teachable moment um for nannies when you talk about what are the, let's compare and contrast the unspoken rules when I'm here versus when you're with your parents because they're different. Um, and I, I think that a lot of nannies struggle sometimes with, um, you know, well, you're not my mom or dad. And I think that that conversation would be really lovely um, to say, you're right. I'm not your mom or dad. Let's talk about what happens when I'm here versus right what happens when your mom or dad are home?
0: I think that's really important. And I think it's really important to communicate with the, with the parents, you know, Mm -hmm. like that, that you're having those conversations. And I think most parents, um, would be thrilled to know (laughs) that in public you're turning to, um, your child, the child you're with and saying like, Hey, it's not okay to take that seat on the subway. And, you know, most nanny families would be just thrilled by that because we as parents, we see things like I saw today and I go, Oh God, have I ever explained that to my daughter? Like, I hope that I have, like, you better explain it to her because I don't ever want to hear that she would do that, you know? And, and so it's, it's really important the unspoken rules and, you know, uh, uh, there's a good percentage of people, I just want to mention this, who do not read social cues easily. Mm-hmm. There's also a good percentage of people who don't read people's faces easily. Mm-hmm. And there's even tests online that you can take to see if, if you're, if a child you're with is one of those people. But I think a lot of times it's also just pausing to pay attention mm-hmm. and knowing that that face is your guide. Um, and there's exercises in well-known play with me to teach children to read the face there's not as many as there are in, in some autism work because right. you know, we had to find compromises or it would be mm-hmm. the longest book known to man. But I do want to encourage you to, as you're walking on the street, you know, ask the child, what do you see in that person's face? If mm-hmm. you're there and so you're on the front lines and so you have this ability to coach them in the moment, which is just so fun yes
1: and i say this on the podcast all the time but something that we're given that's a, a complete gift as nannies is time is that we have it is our job to be there and be present with kids and that's not always true for parents you know they they they're juggling a million things and it's it's lovely that we get paid to give our entire attention to children so we can take those teachable moments and, and really sit with them. Um, And not to say that parents don't do that. They always do as well. But, um, but yeah, we're just given this really lovely gift of, I, you know, I worked a 10 hour shift (laughs) and in that 10 hours, I was there with the kids the whole time, you know,
0: and that was all I I had to do. I don't think it's bad to say that nannies are there and that they're having these times because my view of things, and, and I know not everybody has this view, but I'll just say my view is that we are raising these children together. And I think if, if we don't have that view, then to some extent, we're kind of kidding ourselves, right? Um, when you know, I have tremendous flexibility when I'm not in the middle of a book tour. (laughs) And um, I'm very lucky in that, you know, my nanny and I often divide and conquer, you know, I take this one to this, you take that one to that. But I know not everybody has that. And so I think, um, you know, it's just like grandparents, if grandparents are doing a lot of the childcare, and they are having this gift of time, then that's why they came to my speech last night, because they want to be able to have the tools and um to 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 have those teachable moments so i think it's just it's really great
1: yeah i i love it um i love going on walks and and having the time to to look at a rock i'm with toddlers right now so we spend a lot of time you know right now we're throwing a lot of leaves up in the air and
0: (laughs) But it's like
1: that's the that's the work of the moment, <laughs> it's exploring yeah. the leaves, and it's wonderful. Um, so number five is learn to walk in someone else's shoes, which I feel like this is a lesson that um, is kind of preached at kids a lot. And I loved that the the exercises in the book are. Um, are much more engaging uh, the kids than just being like, yeah, just think about it from their point of view.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the things that I find is that kids get bored easily and they are not shy about telling me when I'm boring them, by the way. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, there's a few things I want to say about this. One, learn to walk in someone else's shoes. We have so many blog posts and articles lately about empathy and kindness Empathy and kindness is really just walking in someone else's shoes, you right. know? And the other thing is that it one of the exercises that you as a nanny could do that is just so much fun um, is that I have this learning to walk in someone else's shoes visual. And it's, um, I used to use real shoes where I would have kids stand in shoes, but it was very difficult because there's different sizes. So now right. it's just pictures of shoes on a big mat. And years ago, all I used to do is take that big craft paper, you know, the kind that rolls out, and mm-hmm. I would draw it until uh, my graphic designer made me like a fancy one. But you can take that, you can photocopy it. I will be selling it on my website, CarolineMeguireAuthor.com soon. But the idea here is that we literally, you know, it's anything. It's, you know, you didn't, you made seven appointments for extra help and you didn't go. Right. Okay. Let's walk on the mat. What did that teacher feel when you didn't show up for seven times? And now when you email her, she's not responding because you didn't show up seven times. Um, And it's, it's also, you know, one of the stories I tell in the book is a little boy who ate the last piece of pie. And this caused like a revolution. And so it's all those little moments when kids do something and the sibling says, you know that was my pie. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're trying to teach them to step into someone else's shoes and the actual act of stepping into this mat, it gives them really this experiential learning Mm -hmm. and it makes it fun. Um, And so I even have teenagers do it. Just so you know, I have teenagers, they do it for me. They roll their eyes, but they do it.
1: Yes. I love that. Um, yeah. I, and I agree that uh, kindness and empathy are, are um, really hot button topics right now. And as they should be, I, I love it. Um, but I, I loved reading this and having those more experiential ways of teaching this because I, I think we can get lost in, in the abstract idea of empathy or kindness. Um, and making it more tangible is wonderful um, and important, especially for children, but for humans in general. Um, Yeah. And then, so number six is be flexible and adaptive, which I think every nanny listening (laughs) or parent, caregiver, uh, knows that this can be really difficult for kids. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's funny cause you're saying you're working with toddlers, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously toddlers are sort of our least adaptive group, but right. how do people become adaptive? People become adaptive because we ask them to adjust, you know, right. and we give them, you know, little incentives and we give them little timers and we tell them that, you know, my son even had something today where I brought him like this cheap plastic dinosaur egg from a um, you know, a store in one of the airports mm-hmm. and um, he wanted to put it in water the minute he saw it. And mm-hmm. my nanny had to say, Oh, we have to go to your sister's tutor. And so he had to adapt, right? He had to right. like wait, holding the dinosaur egg and it's <laughs> little plastic thing. And you know, he's a toddler. And so he has that, you know, I want it now mm-hmm. and um, everything is now. But I think when we work with kids, there are kids who are just super inflexible and it's really hard because you start to wonder, is it me? Is it mm-hmm. the age? But you know, past a certain age, if you look at their peers, their peers have become more flexible mm-hmm. and there is something in the brain called the cingulate gyrus, which is the gear shift of the brain. And some kids literally have a stuck gear shift. It's just hard for them. Right. And so there's a, a series of tools called flexible me that works on building adaptivity. Now I'm sure many of the nannies listening have tricks and tips that I would love to have from them. But if you're feeling stuck, right, or you're feeling like your nanny family needs something like this, you know, you're doing great with it, but it's not carrying over. Right. This can be a tool that you can give to them um, so that everybody is promoting this adaptability.
1: Yes. Yes. And I, I love that idea because there are certainly areas that, um, you know, parents will report, Oh man, how (laughs) like my kiddo right now, she's almost two. Um, and she does not eat chicken nuggets with her mom and her mom's like, how do you get her? (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I don't know, I will spend some time noticing what I do, but it's lovely to have, um, it written out in such a lovely way, uh, that you do in the book for this, not for eating chicken nuggets. This book will not help you get a child to eat chicken nuggets.
0: <laughs> it will not because I have never successfully gotten anyone to eat anything that they didn't want to eat. Yeah. Um, except, uh, I will say that my kids both eat so I just got handed the world's lotto on that. Like, that's yes. all. That's my only trick on that, <laughs> that. I just was handed already the finish line. But, it, you know, I agree. And I think that it's, um, it's also so much work, like, to constantly be thinking of strategies mm-hmm. versus being able to look in a book and say, okay, you know, I'm going to do these lessons with this kid because this kid... I adore, but they're just super inflexible, and I can jive with them, but the right. world isn't going to.
1: Right, right, yes. Um, and then number seven is know your audience and adapt your communication to be appropriate. And I work as a um, academic coach and a writing coach uh, with a lot of older kids, and I I talk to them all the time about knowing your audience when we're writing, but I hadn't thought of it in just general communication.
0: Yeah. I mean, knowing your audience came to me because I was trying to work with this one boy and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, when you write an email or you send a text or you talk to someone, um, they are just an audience, right? right? And so I invented this tool one day where I took these giant bears and I taped people's faces to them, like his headmaster and other, you know, just various people in his life. And I asked him to adjust a single message that I had typed out. And I was like, tell it to each of these people differently. Mm. And he was a kid who struggled with telling a tight story. And he was going into high school. And his concern and his parents concern was like, you know, people are already very done with this. And now you're going into high school where people are even more insensitive, you know? So um, the idea here is that, you know, we adjust. and, And my workplace example that many of you could probably relate to is, you know, when you get bad news and then one person in the room gets good news, they're supposed to not celebrate that good news. Right. But I feel like so many times, just as a friend, I'm somewhere and you know, I'm there suppressing the fact that I've sold a book or I've had this great thing because I don't want to make someone feel bad. Mm-hmm. And people are not reciprocating that. I'm like, wait, what, what are you doing?
1: Yes. So it
0: is a key skill.
1: Yes. And I, I feel like uh, that with read the room go really well together. To, uh, they do are <laughs> hand in hand. <laughs> to making a, a really socially adept person. Um okay. Uh, great. So, yeah. And I, I love how user-friendly, um, the play better plan is. And I also, I love the way play better plan sounds. Um, it just like rolls (laughs) off the tongue, which is, uh, the actor in me. Um, but, and then you talk about the eight principles of highly effective coaching, which I will tell listeners that if you have not listened to the last episode that was released, um, which was on nonviolent communication, a lot of the things that we talked about in nonviolent communication are um, also covered in how to be an effective coach. So these two Uh, episodes together are really, I think, gonna set you up for success. Um, but yeah, so they're ask to don't tell, um, listen and learn, keep your cool, hold the metacognitive mirror up, um, honor your child's aha, prep first, then pave the way, um, meet them where they are, which I think is super important. And then be a cheerleader. Um, Instead of going kind of just one by one, I would love to just kind of talk about them as a whole. Um, sure. Because I, I think it's hard to know how to approach a kid about some of these really personal um, things. And, and you, you do worry about shaming them or um, them building up a wall when you're talking to them about some of this. Um, so I think that these are, are wonderful in helping. Um, approach with an open heart.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think you're, you know, the ideas in these eight principles, you're hitting the nail on the head. They are from life coaching. They are from many schools. Um, many of the things we do in coaching, they use in prisons now with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, all of it is geared to help you talk to your child or your nanny child in a way that makes them want to open up by the way, there are tips for that monosyllabic, I don't know, everything is fine, the kid just shrugs kid, because a lot of teenagers do that. And a lot of little kids even just don't have the words. Um, But I would say the overall thing is that um, they also, I think, as a parent, they're geared to sort of make you have realizations around, you know, what do you do that you need to you know, we all have stuff. We all have legacies. We all have stuff we say because our grandparents said it. We all have ways of being that we don't even like or recognize, but they're there because of our parents. And right. so this is meant to help, um, really set the footing because if you're going to help a kid with social skills, you want to be able to talk about friendship, not necessarily social skills, right? We're really talking about being a good friend.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, and I, I can completely see if a kid has struggled with being a good friend, um, feeling, um, called out or, um, or just uncomfortable with talking about it. And so I, I do love that there are a lot of really good tips, um, including these, uh, eight principles, but um, you expand on them to give, how, give ideas of how you can approach a child um, without shaming them. Because I do think that we could so easily <laughs> get into a shaming territory. And I think we might have been in a shaming territory before using um, some of these skill training
0: I right. I mean, kids who struggle socially, I, I, I want to put it out there. They're a little baffling, right? Mm-hmm. You cry that you want friends and then somebody sits next to you and you don't talk to them, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and they also are um, sometimes a struggle because without meaning to, they are rude or they appear rude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's very easy to fall into certain traps, especially during a 10 hour day, right? right. <laughs> Long day. Yeah. So um, I think that this would just be something that can help you um, just have that communication because that way you're going to make more progress. Yes. Yes.
1: Communication is key. I say it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, let's say that a nanny is working for a family and the parents are not super open to the idea of this training, Um, not to say that you would go against the parents' wishes, but are there ways that a nanny could work with the child on these things without necessarily getting the parents completely on board, even just at first? Because I have a feeling the parents will get on board.
0: (laughs) I have a feeling the parents will get on board too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what it is, is to read the lessons and then to use them in daily life, right? You're in daily life, walking down the street, pointing things out. You have a lot of teachable moments. So if you picked a you know, you could as a nanny take the executive function questionnaire. You certainly know what this kid can do and can't do. And then you could pick a lesson track and you could just You know, you don't even have to do the sitting down lessons. Mm -hmm. You could do the teachable moments, the on the go lessons, the let's go to a food court and let's read people's faces. Mm -hmm. And that is more about entertainment and play. Mm -hmm. And then as results start to happen, you know, the parents are going to start to see that you are shepherding them toward better social skills. And maybe that's when you pick your moment and say, you know, I've actually been using something from this book. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are families that are in denial. You know, last night I did a talk and there were a ton of grandparents, some of whom are the caregiver and some of whom were there because their own child was in denial and they could Mm -hmm. no longer watch. They were just in so much pain. So I think it is very much a possibility. And, and I, (laughs) I'm not asking you to go against any families, but I think like you have so many opportunities for teachable moments as nannies that you could really use this and really make a difference.
1: Yes, I, I completely agree. And I know, um, Pascal Brady, who is a parent coach, um, has been on the podcast a few times and and she talked about how when she started, she was going to these parenting classes, um, alone because her husband was not on board um he was just like no (laughs) we don't need that and she was like well I feel like I do so I'm gonna go and then she said you know after about a year of her going alone he was like hey this is working (laughs) we should go together and she's like great let's do it
0: Yeah, no. I mean, that's a very common thing. Um, I have kids who get an autism spectrum diagnosis and a dad or a mom, whichever, is just like, I don't believe it. I don't think so. And one of the parents starts going to all the classes. Mm-hmm. And then as they are able to use those tools, the other parent says, hey, why are you able to handle this tantrum now? Because I have tools, right? Right. Um, I also will tell you my own story that I have an ADHD, dyslexia, lots of learning disabilities, and um, my mom took me to Children's Hospital Boston and had me tested, and my dad did not come, Mm. and I think it was a, a generational thing, but he just also just like really had a hard time, and now he's very on board, very open. By the time I was in high school, he always, you know, paid for everything, was super supportive, but I don't know why. He just didn't go to the testing. He didn't think I needed it, maybe, and my mom was like, nope we're doing this. And so I do think that there are times when we have to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I certainly, um, know that sometimes too, there's just stuff that gets in our way. And when you see the tools working, then you tend to be like, Oh, this is effective.
1: Yes. So, um, like I said, I, I, I don't really anticipate that, um, Parents would be against it. But if they are, I think that yes, use these tools. And even just not even necessarily a kid is struggling, but I think this reading this book has in general made me a better nanny Um, because I now, when I come across something, I can be like, oh, I have an exercise that would work for that. Um, yeah, it's just more tools in your tool belt. Um, and I, I really do. I, when I emailed you earlier, I was saying like, I want to buy this as a holiday gift (laughs) for all of my, um, nanny friends and parent friends and caregivers in general. Cause I, I really, um, I think this is a really important, uh, piece of literature for us to read. Um, so just as you're listening, if you're thinking about, um, buying a gift for a nanny friend, I, I would highly recommend, uh, why will no one play with me? Um,
0: well, thank you so much. And I will say that, um, I have had many people come to book signings and say, you know, I'm buying one for me and one for, you know, my cousin in Akron, whose child is really struggling. And, you know, you think, oh, sending someone a book, they're going to be super offended. But um, the other tip that I have that someone did that I did not come up with, this one mother said what she did was she just said, even though she had bought the copy for her friend, she just told her, I'm lending this to you. Um, Mm -hmm. I wonder what you think. And the person who she lent it to, I heard back, what was like, Oh my God, I needed this, but I didn't know I needed this. Um, right. or I was too, I was too, um, stuck to kind of go seek it. So mm-hmm. it it is something that I think can be really effective. Um, and, um, I actually have had a lot of people buy it for someone else and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have to tell you, if I hadn't written this book and I had a girlfriend who needed it, I would be giving it to them because sometimes that's what it takes. But thank you very much. And I hope people will go to com because that can be where you get all the links. And also I have videos going up in the next few days that will show coaching and will show how to introduce um, some of the lessons and then how to deal with a resistant kid.
1: Wonderful. I'm excited about that (laughs) (laughs) um wonderful so and if you're listening and you're driving do not fear the link will be down in the show notes so you don't have to write it down you don't have to worry about how to spell mcguire um it's down there for you right now click on it and then you can get to caroline um Wonderful. So, is, is there is there anything else any other resources um or places to to find your book or your you mentioned you're on a tour, are there places people can come hear you speak?
0: Absolutely. So, if you go to com, which is author. in the yes. show notes. <laughs> it's in the show notes. Um, there are um there are events listed on my speaker's page and um I've done a lot, and I keep adding things, and I'm going to conferences, and I'm sort of schlepping all over the country. Um, And there's also talks on there and media appearances um, in case maybe you want to show your nanny family, like, this is what this is about. Um, That might be a good way to kind of give them a three-minute introduction.
1: Yes, yes, because sometimes that elevator pitch is hard to Um, find by yourself. So it's wonderful to have one (laughs) Um, already made for you.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Um, Well, great. Um, We end each episode with a a cute, funny, uplifting story. And Caroline has brought one.
0: So I have a story about a nanny. So I had this family I worked with and mom and dad were both very, very prominent people. And their nanny would always bring this little boy and he had a really horrendous temper and he was um, having a lot of trouble bossing his body and managing with his sister. And, um, he was constantly coming in with the nanny and eventually this is when I was really new to coaching. I I said to the mother, like, I'm just going to coach the nanny when you're not here because she is doing everything and she's tremendous. Mm -hmm. And, um, When we had an incident once where um, the nanny had separated all of the books that were like too babyish from his room and brought them into the younger sister's room. I know we all do that, right? We're trying to free up space. (laughs) And he had a real reaction, like a big reaction to this. And he went in her room and he took like all her books. Like he didn't just (laughs) take his little basket of books. And he had like a complete meltdown, you know, and you know those meltdowns that last for like hours. And you're kind of like, Oh my God, am I going to live through this? <laughs> um, and he wasn't a toddler, by the way, he was right. like, hey. and so, <laughs> yeah. and he did not have, you know, a diagnosis. And so one, so the nanny came the next week and she sort of told me the great book catastrophe story. And, you know, she was just so tremendous that I remember her to this day where she was sort of like, you know, do I hold the line and say like, you can't go into someone else's room and take the books or do I understand he had big feelings and we worked out a plan with the little boy and he had like these really long bangs at the time and these tiny little eyes and I'll never forget that. And he said to me that he was embarrassed and I said, it's okay. You know, we all have big feelings and we worked it out and years later I ran into that nanny on the street and she was telling me that he is like the most calm kid ever. And she can't believe that he was ever a kid (laughs) who was like throwing books against the wall. I think he even hit the drywall with one of the books and like damaged the drywall. Like it was bad. Right. (laughs) Um, So um, I just, I really want to say that I think nannies make a tremendous difference. And I think that he would not be a person that we call calm if she had not really taken that seriously and employed strategies and been his custodian, right? And said, this can't go on, you know?
1: Right. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I I really enjoyed that story. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, I, I love my job. And um, I think, you know, everyone listening um, that's a nanny really appreciates um, that recognition, but Yes, we all, we all love our jobs. <laughs> or, most of us do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for taking time to sit down with me. I really appreciate it. Um, I
0: no, no problem. Thank you. I really appreciate your love and passion for Why Will No One Play With Me and for kids and um, all of the folks listening who really are raising tremendous human beings and i i hope that this can help you um because i know you're you're just doing your best every day
1: <laughs> yes thank you all right and thank you all for listening we'll see you in a couple weeks
0: bye-bye
1: the chronicles of mania is produced and hosted by martha reddick artwork by noni amadan theme music by brad kemp find him at secondbedroomstudio.com Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks
0: for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture.